Once when I was six years old, I saw a magnificent picture in a book called True Stories from Nature about the primeval forest. It was a picture of a boa constrictor in the act of swallowing an animal. Here is a copy of that drawing. In the book, it said, boa constrictors swallow their prey whole without chewing it. After that, they are not able to move and they sleep through the six months that they need for digestion. I pondered deeply then over the adventures of the jungle and after some work with a colored pencil, I succeeded in making my first drawing, my drawing number one. It looked something like this. I showed my masterpiece to the grown-ups and asked them whether the drawing frightened them. But they answered, Frighten? Why should anyone be frightened by a hat? My drawing was not a picture of a hat. It was a picture of a boa constrictor digesting an elephant. But since the grown-ups were not able to understand it, I made another drawing. I drew the inside of a boa constrictor so that the grown-ups could see it clearly. They always need to have things explained. My drawing number two looked like this. The grown-up's response this time was to advise me to lay aside my drawings of boa constrictors, whether from the inside or the outside, and devote myself instead to geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar. That is why, at the age of six, I gave up on what might have been a magnificent career as a painter. I had been disheartened by the failure of my drawing number one and my drawing number two. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is tiresome for children to be always and forever explaining things to them. So then I chose another profession and learned to pilot airplanes. I've flown a little over all parts of the world, and it is true that geography has been very useful to me. At a glance, I can distinguish China from Arizona. If one gets lost in the night, such knowledge is valuable. In the course of my life, I have had a great many encounters with a great many people who have been concerned with matters of consequence. I've lived a great deal among grown-ups. I've seen them intimately, close at hand, and that hasn't much improved my opinion of them. Whenever I met one of them who seemed to me at all clear-sighted, I tried the experiment of showing him my drawing number one, which I've always kept. I would try and find out, so, if this was a person of true understanding. But, whoever it was, he or she would always say, that is a hat. Then I would never talk to that person about boa constrictors or primeval forests or stars. I would bring myself down to his level. I would talk to him about bridge and golf and politics and neckties. And the grown-up would be greatly pleased to have met such a sensible man. So I lived my life alone, without anyone that I could really talk to, until I had an accident with my plane in the desert of Sahara six years ago. Something was broken in my engine, and as I had with me neither a mechanic nor any passengers, I set myself to attempt the difficult repairs all alone. It was a question of life or death for me. I had scarcely enough drinking water to last a week. The first night then, I went to sleep on the sand, a thousand miles from any human habitation. I was more isolated than a shipwrecked sailor on a raft in the middle of the ocean. Thus you can imagine my amazement at sunrise when I was awakened by an odd little voice. It said, If you please, draw me a sheep. What? Draw me a sheep. I jumped to my feet, completely thunderstruck. I blinked my eyes hard. I looked carefully all around me, and I saw a most extraordinary small person who stood there examining me with great seriousness. Here you may see the best portrait that later I was able to make of him, but my drawing is certainly very much less charming than its model. That, however, is not my fault. The grown-ups discouraged me in my painter's career when I was six years old, and I never learned to draw anything except boas from the outside and boas from the inside. 
Now, I stared at this sudden apparition with my eyes fairly starting out of my head in astonishment. Remember, I had crashed in the desert a thousand miles from any inhabited region, and yet my little man seemed neither to be straying uncertainly among the sands, nor to be fainting from fatigue or hunger or thirst or fear. Nothing about him gave any suggestion of a child lost in the middle of the desert, a thousand miles from any human habitation. When at last I was able to speak, I said to him, But what are you doing here? And in answer, he repeated very slowly, as if he was speaking of a matter of great consequence, If you please, draw me a sheep. When a mystery is too overpowering, one dare not disobey. Absurd as it might seem to me, a thousand miles from any human habitation and in danger of death, I took out of my pocket a sheet of paper and my fountain pen. But then I remembered how my studies had been concentrated on geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar. And I told the little chap, a little crossly too, that I did not know how to draw. He answered me, That doesn't matter. Draw me a sheep. But I had never drawn a sheep, so I drew for him one of the two pictures I had drawn so often. It was that of the boa constrictor from the outside, and I was astounded to hear the little fellow greet it with, No, 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 I do not want an elephant inside a boa constrictor. A boa constrictor is a very dangerous creature, and an elephant is very cumbersome. Where I live, everything is very small. What I need is a sheep. Draw me a sheep. So then I made a drawing. He looked at it carefully. Then he said, No, this sheep is already very sickly. Make me another. So I made another drawing. My friend smiled gently and indulgently. You see yourself, he said, that this is not a sheep. This is a ram. It has horns. So then I did my drawing over once more. But it was rejected too, just like the others. This one is too old. I want a sheep that will live a long time. By this time, my patience was exhausted, because I was in a hurry to start taking apart my engine. So I tossed off this drawing, and I threw out an explanation with it. This is only the box. The sheep you asked for is inside. I was very surprised to see a light break over the face of my young judge. That is exactly the way I wanted it. Do you think that this sheep will have to eat a great deal of grass? Why? Because where I live, everything is very small. Oh, there will surely be enough grass for him, I said. It is a very small sheep that I have given you. He bent his head over the drawing. Not so small that... Oh, look, he has gone to sleep. And that is how I made the acquaintance of the little prince. It took me a long time to learn where he came from. The little prince who asked me so many questions never seemed to hear the ones I asked him. It was from words dropped by chance that little by little everything was revealed to me. The first time he saw my airplane, for instance, I shall not draw my airplane. That would be much too complicated for me. He asked me, what is that object? That is not an object. It flies. It is an airplane. It is my airplane. And I was proud to have him learn that I could fly. He cried out then, what? You dropped down from the sky? Yes, I answered modestly. Oh, that is funny. And the little prince broke into a lovely peal of laughter, which irritated me very much. I like my misfortunes to be taken seriously. Then he added, So, you too come from the sky. Which is your planet? At that moment, I caught a gleam of light in the impenetrable mystery of his presence, and I demanded abruptly, Do you come from another planet? But he did not reply. He tossed his head gently without taking his eyes from my plane. It is true that on that you can't have come from very far away. 
and he sank into a reverie which lasted a long time. Then, taking my sheep out of his pocket, he buried himself in the contemplation of his treasure. You can imagine how my curiosity was aroused by this half-confidence about the other planets. I made a great effort, therefore, to find out more on the subject. My little man, where do you come from? What is this where I live of which you speak? Where do you want to take your sheep? After a reflective silence, he answered, The thing that is so good about the box you have given me is that at night he can use it as his house. Mm, that is so. And if you are good, I will give you a string too, so that you can tie him during the day, and a post to tie him to. But the little prince seemed shocked by this offer. Tie him? What a queer idea. But if you don't tie him, I said, he will wander off somewhere and get lost. My friend broke into another peal of laughter. <laughs> but where do you think he would go? Anywhere, straight ahead of him. Then the little prince said earnestly, oh, That doesn't matter. Where I live, everything is so small. And with perhaps a hint of sadness, he added, Straight ahead of him, no one can get very far. I had thus learned a second fact of great importance. This was that the planet the little prince came from was scarcely larger than a house. But that did not really surprise me much. I knew very well that in addition to the great planets such as the Earth, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, to which we have given names, there are also hundreds of others, some of which are so small that one has a hard time seeing them through a telescope. When an astronomer discovers one of these, he does not give it a name, but only a number. He might call it, for example, Asteroid 325. I have serious reason to believe that the planet from which the Little Prince came is the asteroid known as B612. This asteroid has only once been seen through the telescope. That was by a Turkish astronomer in 1909. On making his discovery, the astronomer had presented it to the International Astronomical Congress in a great demonstration, but he was in Turkish costume and so nobody would believe what he said. Grown-ups are like that. Fortunately, however, for the reputation of asteroid B612, a Turkish dictator made it a law that his subjects under pain of death should change to European costume, so in 1920 the astronomer gave his demonstration all over again, dressed with impressive style and elegance. And this time, Everybody accepted his report. If I have told you these details about the asteroid, and made a note of its number to you, it is on account of the grown-ups and their ways. When you tell them that you have made a new friend, they never ask you any questions about essential matters. They never say to you, what does his voice sound like? What games does he love best? Does he collect butterflies? Instead, they demand, how old is he? How many brothers has he? How much does he weigh? How much money does his father make? Only from these figures do they think they have learned anything about him. If you were to say to the grown-ups, I saw a beautiful house made of rosy brick with geraniums in the windows and doves on the roof, they would not be able to get any idea of the house at all. You would have to say to them, I saw a house that cost $20,000. Then they would exclaim, Oh, what a pretty house that is. Just so, you might say to them, the proof that the little prince existed is that he was charming, that he laughed, and that he was looking for a sheep. If anyone wants a sheep, that is a proof that he exists. And what good would it do to tell them that? They would shrug their shoulders and treat you like a child. But if you said to them, the planet he came from is asteroid B612, then they would be convinced and leave you in peace from their questions. They are like that. One must not hold it against them. 
children should always show great forbearance towards grown-up people. But, certainly for us who understand life, figures are a matter of indifference. I should have liked to begin this story in the fashion of the fairy tales. I should have liked to say, once upon a time, there was a little prince who lived on a planet that was scarcely any bigger than himself and who had need of a sheep. To those who understand life, that would have given a much greater air of truth to my story. For I do not want anyone to read my book carelessly. I have suffered too much grief in setting down these memories. Six years have already passed since my friend went away from me with his sheep. If I try to describe him here, it is to make sure that I shall not forget him. To forget a friend is sad. Not everyone has had a friend. And if I forget him, I, I may become like the grown-ups who are no longer interested in anything but figures. It is for that purpose, again, that I have bought a box of paints and some pencils. It is hard to take up drawing again at my age, when I have never made any pictures except those of a boa constrictor from the outside and the boa constrictor from the inside since I was six. I shall certainly try to make my portraits as true to life as possible, but I am not at all sure of success. One drawing goes along alright, and another has no resemblance to its subject. I make some errors, too, in the little prince's height. In one place he is too tall, and in another too short, and I feel some doubts about the colour of his costume. So I fumble along, as best as I can, now good, now bad, and I hope generally fair to middling. In certain more important details I shall make mistakes also, but that is something that will not be my fault. My friend never explained anything to me. He thought perhaps that I was like himself, but I, alas, do not know how to see sheep through the walls of boxes. Perhaps I am a little like the grown-ups. I have had to grow old. As each day passed, I would learn in our talk something about the little prince's planet, his departure from it, his journey. The information would come very slowly as it might chance to fall from his thoughts. It was in this way that I heard on the third day about the catastrophe of the Baobabs. This time, once more, I had the sheep to thank for it, for the little prince asked me abruptly, as if seized by a grave doubt, It is true, isn't it, that sheep eat little bushes? Yes, that is true. Ah, I am glad. I did not understand why it was so important that sheep should eat little bushes, but the little prince added, Then it follows that they also eat baobabs. I pointed out to the little prince that baobabs were not little bushes, but, on the contrary, trees as big as castles, and that even if he took a whole herd of elephants away with him, the herd would not eat up one single baobab. The idea of a herd of elephants made the little prince laugh. <laughs> we would have to put them one on top of the other, he said. But he made a wise comment. Before they grow so big, the baobabs start out by being little. That is strictly correct. I said, but why do you want the sheep to eat little baobabs? He answered me at once, oh, come, come, as if he were speaking of something that was self-evident, and I was obliged to make a great mental effort to solve this problem without any assistance. Indeed, as I learned, there were on the planet where the little prince lived, as on all planets, good plants and bad plants. In consequence, there were good seeds from good plants and bad seeds from bad plants. But seeds are invisible. They sleep deep in the heart of the earth's darkness, until some one among them is seized with the desire to awaken. Then this little seed will stretch itself and begin, timidly at first, to push a charming little sprig inoffensively upward toward the sun. If it is only a sprout of radish or the sprig of a rose bush, one would let it grow wherever it might wish. 
But when it is a bad plant, one must destroy it as soon as possible, the very first instant that one recognises it. Now, there were some terrible seeds on the planet that was the home of the little prince, and these were the seeds of the baobab. The soil of that planet was infested with them. A baobab is something that you will never, never be able to get rid of if you attend it too late. It spreads over the entire planet, it bores clear through it with many roots, and if the planet is too small and the baobabs are too many, they split it into pieces. It is a question of discipline, the little prince said to me later on. When you've finished with your own toilet in the morning, then it is time to attend to the toilet of your planet, just so, with the greatest care. You must see to it that you pull up regularly all the baobabs. At the very first moment when they can be distinguished from the rose bushes, which they resemble so closely in their earliest youth, it is very tedious work, the little prince added, but very easy. And one day he said to me, you ought to make a beautiful drawing so that the children where you live can see exactly how all this is. That would be very useful to them if they were to travel some day. Sometimes, he added, there is no harm in putting off a piece of work until another day, but when it is a matter of baobabs, that always means catastrophe. I knew a planet that was inhabited by a lazy man. He neglected three little bushes. So, as the little prince described to me, I have made a drawing of that planet. I do not much like to take the tone of a moralist, but the danger of the baobabs is so little understood, and such considerable risks would be run by anyone who might get lost on an asteroid, that, for once, I am breaking through my reserve. Children, I say plainly, watch out for the baobabs. My friends, like myself, have been skirting this danger for a long time without ever knowing it, and so it is for them that I have worked so hard over this drawing. The lesson which I pass on by this means is worth all the trouble it has cost me. Perhaps you will ask me, why are there no other drawings in this book as magnificent and impressive as this drawing of the Baobabs? The reply is simple. I have tried, but with the others I have not been successful. When I made the drawing of the Baobabs, I was carried beyond myself by the inspiring force of urgent necessity. Oh, little prince. Bit by bit, I came to understand the secrets of your sad little life. For a long time, you had found your only entertainment in the quiet pleasure of looking at the sunset. I learned that new detail on the morning of the fourth day when you said to me, I am very fond of sunsets. Come, let us go look at a sunset now. But we must wait, I said. Wait? For what? Well, for the sunset. We must wait until it is time. At first you seemed to be very much surprised, and then you laughed to yourself. You said to me, I am always thinking that I am at home. Just so, everybody knows that when it is noon in the United States, the sun is setting over France. If you could fly to France in one minute, you could go straight into the sunset, right from noon. Unfortunately, France is too far away for that. But on your tiny planet, my little prince, all you need to do is move your chair a few steps. You can see the day end and the twilight falling whenever you like. One day, you said to me, I saw the sunset 44 times. And a little later, you added, You know, one loves the sunset when one is sad. Were you so sad then? I asked, on the day of the 44 sunsets. But the little prince made no reply. On the fifth day, again as always, it was thanks to the sheep, 
the secret of the little prince's life was revealed to me. Abruptly, without anything to lead up to it, and as if the question had been born of a long and silent meditation on his problem, he demanded, A sheep, if it eats little bushes, does it eat flowers too? A sheep, I answered, eats anything it finds in its reach. Even flowers that have thorns? Yes, even flowers that have thorns. Then the thorns, what use are they? I did not know. At that moment I was very busy trying to unscrew a bolt that had got stuck in my engine. I was very much worried, for it was becoming clear to me that the breakdown of my plane was extremely serious, and I had so little drinking water left that I had to fear the worst. The thorns, what use are they? The little prince never let go of a question, once he had asked it. As for me, I was upset over this bolt, and I answered with the first thing that came into my head. Uh, the thorns are of no use at all. Flowers just have thorns for the spite. Oh. There was a moment of complete silence. Then the little prince flashed back at me with a kind of resentfulness. I don't believe you. Flowers are weak creatures. They are naive. They reassure themselves as best they can. They believe that their thorns are terrible weapons. I did not answer. At that instant, I was saying to myself, If this bolt still won't turn, I am going to knock it out with the hammer. Again, the little prince disturbed my thoughts. And you actually believe that the flowers- Oh no! I cried. No, 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 I don't believe anything. I answered you with the first thing that came into my head. Don't you see? I'm very busy with matters of consequence. He stared at me. Thunderstruck. Matters of consequence? He looked at me there with my hammer in my hand, my fingers black with engine grease, bending down over an object which seemed to him extremely ugly. You talk just like the grown-ups. That made me a little ashamed, but he went on, relentlessly, you mix everything up together. You confuse everything. He was really very angry. He tossed his golden curls in the breeze. I know a planet where there is a certain red-faced gentleman. He has never smelled a flower. He has never looked at a star. He has never loved anyone. He has never done anything in his life but add up figures. And all day he says over and over, just like you, I am busy with matters of consequence. And that makes him swell up with pride. But he is not a man. He is a mushroom. A what? A mushroom! The little prince was now white with rage. The flowers have been growing thorns for millions of years. For millions of years the sheep have just been eating them all the same? And is it not a matter of consequence to try and understand why the flowers go to so much trouble to grow thorns which are never of any use to them? Is the warfare between the sheep and the flowers not important? Is this not of more consequence than a fat red-faced gentleman's sons? And if I know, I, myself, one flower which is unique in the world, which grows nowhere but on my planet, but which one little sheep can destroy in a single bite some morning without even noticing what he is doing. You think that is not important? His face turned from white to red as he continued. If someone loves a flower, of which just one single blossom grows in all the millions and millions of stars, it is enough to make him happy just to look at the stars. He can say to himself, somewhere my flower is there. But if the sheep eats the flower, well, in one moment all his stars will be darkened, and you think that that is not important? He could not say anything more. His words were choked by sobbing. The night had fallen. I had let my tools drop from my hands. Of what meaning now was my hammer, my bolt, or thirst, or death? On one star, one planet, my planet, the Earth, there was a little prince to be comforted. I took him in my arms and rocked him. I said to him, 
The flower that you love is not in danger. I will draw you a muzzle for your sheep. I will draw you a railing to put around your flower. I will... I did not know what to say to him. I felt awkward and blundering. I did not know how I could reach him. Where I could overtake him and go on hand in hand with him once more. It is such a secret place, the land of tears.'